I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Joyce Bender, radio host of Disability Matters. In 1985, Joyce Bender had a life-threatening accident due to epilepsy that caused a cerebral hemorrhage requiring subsequent brain surgery. Against all odds, she recovered from this accident that left her with a 70% hearing loss in one ear and a realization that she had epilepsy. This accident changed the trajectory of her life and led to the founding of Bender Consulting Services, Inc. She is also CEO and founder of the Bender Leadership Academy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her focus for both organizations is employment for people with disabilities. As a woman living with epilepsy and hard of hearing, she has dedicated her life to a crusade for youth and adults to gain the dream of competitive employment. She works tirelessly to break down the barriers and stigma that exists for people with disabilities and has been recognized for her work by the Bush and Clinton administrations. She hosts the radio show, as I mentioned earlier, Disability Matters with Joyce Bender, and has been featured in periodicals including Reader's Digest, The New York Times, Investor's Business Daily, the Chicago Tribune, and more. Welcome to the show, Joyce. Great to have you on this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. And I want to say it is an honor to be here with you on the show. I have only the greatest admiration for you and the work you have done helping people that have been left out and marginalized. Um, And it's just so special to be on your show today. Well, thank you, and it's great to have you on the show, and obviously for all the good work that you do and continue to do. Uh, You know, uh, disability matters. Uh, For my audience, like, when we're talking about disability, how do you define that? What is a disability? Disability is anything that has impacted you with an impairment that prevents some necessary life activity. So what would that be? That would be like me with epilepsy, you know, and driving, but it also, ADA also covers or or perceived as or regarded as, that's the legal term, or regarded as having a disability. Uh, you cannot uh, discriminate against that person. In other words, someone could be working with someone and overhear them say something about um, a seizure or fainting, uh, and and then go to someone else and say, you know what, they have epilepsy. I'm almost sure they have epilepsy, and then that pe- person being treated differently. That also is covered under the ADA. So it's some major lack, major life activity that so, prevents you from pre- living like everyone else. Yeah. So living or getting a job, as I mentioned in the in mm-hmm. the intro, uh, your dream for youths and adults to get, gain the dream of competitive employment. And I'm I'm imagining it's also it's very difficult to do because it seems that the stigma and, you know, I've been in the business for a long time as a social worker, you know, as as you have. And uh, it, it, it seems the stigma still remains. I mean, uh, so can we talk about that? Because I know that's one of the uh, in many of the inroads that, that you have uh, accomplished in terms of getting rid of the stigma. Yes, thank you. And I know you are one person that completely understands that because of you dedicating your life through your social work 
to, you know, those that have been marginalized. Um, so stigma is the biggest barrier to the employment of people with disabilities. Uh, it is ableism, which is a form of discrimination against people with disabilities. Uh, it is just ignorance of understanding disabilities, uh, or it is fear of being around someone with a disability. But the stigma is that the person would not, in the workforce, for example, the person would not be as productive to the bottom line as someone without a disability. And that is the reason, Catherine, that when I go to a company and they say, oh, Joyce, I'm so glad you're here because uh, we haven't hired people with disabilities before and we know your company and your consulting services, that's what you do. I say to them, oh, no, but you have hired people with disabilities. Yeah, they're working here right now. They have bipolar disorder, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, cancer, MS, epilepsy. You know, I could go on and on. It's just they aren't telling you. And they aren't telling you because of the stigma that is attached with disability, that suddenly they would be treated differently or not be considered for a promotion. So when people have, it's interesting you should say that because I hadn't actually thought about that. You're right, people who bipolar, all kinds of psychological disabilities, et cetera. It's the person who is perhaps sitting in the wheelchair or only has one leg or one arm or there's something that someone can see that they would be really a target for this stigmatization. Yeah, that's right, except we know that people with mental health disabilities uh, are definitely stigmatized and, uh, you know, go on an interview and say, you know, that you have bipolar disorder and you're not going to get the job. So my point is there are, uh, for every person you see with a physical disability, there are four more that you see that it's non-apparent. So a non-apparent disability is a disability you have that is not visible, you know, to the outside world. Can we get back to you? Because in the beginning, when I read the intro, 1985 is when you had the the accident. So this was the beginning of all of this uh, disability matters for you personally. So what did happen? What was, you know, what were the stages that you went through when you suddenly realized, you know, I I have epilepsy, I've lost 70% of my hearing, now what? Well, when I grew up, Catherine, I did have faints. I would faint, uh, not often when I was younger as a teenager, but occasionally. The only thing is I would be the only one in my family that would faint every so often. And my family thought it was a virus. You know, I was just sick that day um, because then I was fine afterwards. But then when I got in my 20s, uh, especially in my mid-20s on, it became much more pronounced where I would get this terrible feeling in my head and I would say, oh, no, no, that thing's going to happen and I can't stop it from happening. Uh, it's going to happen. And that thing would be, I get this really terrible feeling in my head, which I now know was, you know, my brain. I would get this feeling and then uh, I would be unconscious and and then when I did come to, I would be violently sick. I bet there are people listening to the show right now. They know exactly what I mean, because often after a seizure, the person is very sick 
for for a while, and it's very, you know, it's terrible. But anyway, this, and then I would be fine. So one night my husband found me unconscious. He thought I was having a heart attack. So off we go to the doctor, and what does he say? Oh, Joyce, that's just some female hormonal problem. You're fine. And why would I believe him? I'm in my 20s, and he's a doctor. Of course, he would know. This is what I thought. Of course, he would know, but he didn't know. And one night in 1985, I went to see the movie Amadeus, my husband and I, and at the intermission, I went to get a soda, and I had a seizure, and I hit the floor so hard, I fractured my skull, had an intracranial brain hemorrhage, broke the bones in my right inner ear. That's why, as you correctly stated, I have a hard of hearing with a 70% loss in my right ear. And I had this, against all odds, miraculous recovery, uh, thank God. And um, this is when the neurosurgeon tells me, oh, by the way, you live with epilepsy and you're already on anti-seizure medication. And those faints I used to have were really seizures because when I did have a seizure after that operation, it was exactly the same. So not everyone, Catherine, that has a seizure uh, has a convulsion. More people do not than do. More people have an obstinate seizure or complex partial seizure uh, or a tonic seizure than a grand mal seizure. That's why uh, this doctor misdiagnosed what was wrong and did not test me further. And that one event that night would change the trajectory of the rest of my life because that's now what I've been doing since 1995, focused on the competitive employment of people with disabilities. And I started an academy for high school students with disabilities, preparing them for the world of work. Yeah, let's talk about the high school students, because that's really a good place to start. How do you address that with these students? I mean, how do you, uh, these are, I'm assuming these are kids with uh, disabilities, not necessarily epilepsy. Mm -hmm, This mm -hmm. is more, yeah. Oh, no, across the board disabilities. Across the board, okay. Uh, From autism to epilepsy or wheelchair, you know, whatever it would be. Um, These kids, the bar has been lowered. They have so such low self-esteem, and people have lowered the bar and, and really made those students feel like, I don't matter, I won't be able to achieve this, and I'm all about no pity. We have a big quote of mine is, people with disabilities need paychecks, not pity. Those kids, no pity. And you know what? I teach them how to interview, how to write a resume, you know, preparing for the world of work. But we also teach them about initiative and independence. Uh, But we have to work hard on the bullying, how to deal with bullying and building self-esteem. And every single class, one of the things I do is they have to give a two-minute speech. Like the first one is on what I believe it takes to be a good employee and then on initiative, and then on independence. Um, and at every class, you know, I'll tell them, do you want me to treat you as an adult or a baby? Of course, 
The answer is adult. Well, do you want me to feel sorry for you? No. Okay, well, I'm treating everyone here like a young adult. No pity. Um, and you know what? Even I did this on a volunteer basis, the Vendor Leadership Academy, for 20 years. Then in 2018, it became a 501c3. But in all those years, no matter how I would make them go through the speeches, the presentations, you know, pay attention, never once did anyone speak back at me and say, you know, what you would envision that kids may say to a, uh, someone that's being stringent with them. Never, ever. And, and that is because no one has made them feel like, hey, sit up. You're, you know, you can do what everyone else can do. Um, and I love them. There's no yeah. question about how much I love these kids. Yeah, and they obviously know you love them and they feel it. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a teacher, and she said she had a, a little girl in her class with, who had Down syndrome and uh, quite, you know, very capable of keeping up with the rest of the class. And one of the, the girls, I guess, particularly, would baby, you know, you're saying no pity, you're talking to her uh, as if she were a baby, talking baby talk. And uh, that that was one of the major issues in the classroom with this little girl. She didn't need to be pitied. She could do, you know, she was quite capable of taking care of herself. Anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Um, and I think that's really important because I think, you know, it's one of those things when you, I, I know in some of my work, uh, you see somebody in a wheelchair, this very often happens, and uh, people make the assumption that uh, there's something wrong with your brain, that that. <laughs> That, uh, you know, your physical disability has impacted your mental disability. Not true. Uh, that um, Actually, I have a friend who um, is in that situation. So, you know, it's a, it's a complex, I guess, a, a lot of complex emotions, right? A lot of, uh, so that when you talk to these kids and you get them in high school, uh, I think that's so important. And, and maybe, have you ever dealt with kids in elementary school? I have on a, you know, on a volunteer basis, but not as often. And that is why this coming year, for the first time, I'm including uh, the kids that are in the middle school. Uh-huh. Because middle school is where a lot of this bullying really takes off. So I'm starting with middle school for the first time. And Joyce, can you me? talk about It'll the bullying, though? What do they do? What do those kids do? I mean, now they have, obviously, they have the Internet. They have all these tools to exacerbate the bullying. How do you handle it in terms of, give you know, just how do you handle it with these kids in, in middle school? I, I will tell you, it's brutal. It's yeah. terrible. Um, it's either verbal you know, you're a freak, you're ugly, you're weird, uh, you stink, uh, you, no one would ever want to be with you. I, I mean, this is how kids talk to kids with a disability, I mean, that are bullying them. Uh, also, uh, maybe getting their uh, personal stuff, such as a jacket and putting ketchup in the pockets, um, physically knocking them down. 
knocking them into the locker. Uh, but you're right about social media. Oh, it can be terrible. See, when, when I grew up and you grew up, <clears throat> when we went home on Friday, that's it. We're home for the weekend. We're with our friends, our family. No bullying. Now, it doesn't matter if you're home. Because with the cell phone or laptop or wherever you, you know, look at your uh, use for a social venue, it is cyberbullying, you know, and it can be terrible. Kids have even made pages <clears throat> of another person, like it, like a schoolgirl, like it was her page, and put, you know, pornographic photos on there. I mean, I could go on forever, but there are 10-year-old children that are taking their life because of how brutally they are bullied. I can't believe. i give you an example of Julie. Julie uh, had Stephen Johnson syndrome, so she lost her vision in one eye, and the other eye, a little bit she can see, but it's very obvious by looking at her that something happened. Well, and she's a pretty girl. So she's at school walking down the hall, and she wears sunglasses all the time, and one came... One child came up, and they now we're talking like 14, 15 years old, and blew an air horn in her ear. And when she turned, the other girl took the glasses. And <clears throat> one day, she's the one that they got her white jacket and put ketchup in the pockets. I, I mean, the thing is, when I tell people uh, about this little 10-year-old girl with autism, uh, African-American, and they would call her the N-word, uh, and that's horrific enough. Her parents tried to take care of it. One day she's going to school uh, carrying a bottle of Febreze, and her parents said, what are you doing? She said, well, they tell me I smell, so I'm going to spray the seat. Well, the bullying never stopped, and that little 10-year-old girl took her own life. This... <clears throat> is what I am dealing with. So I want to say to every parent out there, no excuse. No excuse about that Facebook uh, or TikTok or Instagram. I don't care what it is. You should be monitoring what your child is doing. And if your child comes home from school and maybe they don't want to eat or they're very recluse or all of a sudden the grades are going down and they're moody, you better check about bullying. Yeah, so those are some of the symptoms parents have to be aware of, and I think that's a really important point. But as you're talking, I'm picturing this little girl or this in in school. Where are the teachers? Where are the counselors? Where's the principal? What what are they doing? Because it's as you're saying, it's ongoing, and it's it's something. And even if the parents aren't aware, where's the where's the staff? Uh, good question. Yeah. I ask that same question all the time. And a lot of it is also done in the uh, bathroom, in the restroom. And then the kids are afraid to tell the teacher because of retaliation. Um, and I tell them that you have to tell someone, if not parents, if not teacher, uh, and if anyone's listening, I don't care if it's rabbi, pastor, um, colleague, aunt, uncle, I don't care who it is. 
don't keep that a secret. Yeah. So they're afraid to tell. They're afraid to talk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have your your work is cut out for you. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, there's just so many pieces to this whole thing. This uh, and the bullying, and and it seems to be on some level getting worse. Uh, it it mm-hmm. and yeah, and uh, but with shows like yours, and that, I want to talk about that because disability matters. Let's talk about your show because you've been doing this show now for what twenty years at Voice America. 21 this year. 21. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that is because I have that exciting executive producer, Casey Trump. She's a, absolutely, so do I. She's a good one, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's Casey, but... I've been doing it for 21 years this year, and Highmark Corporation is the sponsor of the show. How would you say that your show evolved? Because twenty one years is is a is a lifetime, right? It's a new generation uh, of uh, people with disabilities. All you know, a lot has evolved since twenty one years ago. Um, what you know? What what are the differences? What is the I guess the evolution of your show? At the beginning, you know, I would have different people on business people, and we would talk about uh, disability issues. But then as the base started to get larger, it started to get larger because I was having senators on or uh, or young people talking about bullying. Um, and as the years went on, uh, the people that got on the show were like, you know, CEOs or uh, authors or an NFL star, every single show in one way or another, it involves something about disability. And, and so then of course we started advertising, uh, the show, but the show is really well known in the disability community also, you, you know, the disability rights community. Uh, and business people and young people with disabilities. Um, and I now, here's one way the show evolved. Someone that worked for me said, you know what? You should have a news break and keep up to, people up to date on what's happening nationally in the news that impacts people with disabilities. So I asked Perry Jude Radisick, who's the CEO of Disability Rights Pennsylvania, if she would give a news break on the half hour, we've been doing this now for over six years, and we are the only show that has this news break for people with disabilities anywhere. And so every week at uh, my shows on 2 to 3 Eastern time, and every week she comes on on the half hour and tells nationally what's going on or how people with disabilities you know, need to know this is going on with health care uh, or with accessibility or transportation. Um, and and that has really taken on something with the show to give it even more uh, credibility. My main goal is that I want to help people with disabilities, you know, have quality of life, but also be educated. Now, we do... Because of how the show is constructed, it does not have open captioning. So we do, our company pays 
for open captioning, and we have all 21 years. And uh, my friend Pat Graves owns Caption First, and they caption the show. Well, I'll tell you, I listened to that, and I, I love that part of the show. I, you know, I, I love the whole show, but that was really interesting because it really does in real time, connect people with disabilities and all of us um, to what's happening right now. And um, I think that's really important. Obviously, that's what you've been talking about. Real time connecting news, what's happening. Um, So what, six years you've been doing that? Mm -hmm. Yes. And every week. And uh, you know what I need? I'll tell you what I need. I need more people like you, Catherine. I need people in the media that talk about this, that talk about 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce today, that talk about 98% of websites, even though everyone says they're accessible, no, they're not uh, compliant with the WCAG regulations the federal government sets out. Um, and how kids with disabilities are bullied, but everyone deserves a job. Everyone deserves to work. Um, and it's people like you making that known that someone with a disability hears your show and says, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to apply for a job because we place people in engineering, finance, accounting, IT, all areas. But until more people are saying, hey, do you know there's an untapped labor pool of people out there that can work, that want to work? You know, it won't, it, it doesn't bring enough attention to that. Yeah, I think that uh, is really the whole key. Not. I agree with, we have one minute left. I could go on and on. <laughs> I have so many more questions I could ask you. But, uh, I mean, let's give, well, Disability Matters, that's that you mentioned, that's Voice America. But any other websites or places that we can go, 30 seconds? Um Benderconsult.com, B-E-N-D-E-R, Benderconsult.com, and BenderLeadership.org. Okay, so that's how we can connect with you. Uh, Great having you on the show today. It really is a pleasure, and we really, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. You're a champion, because anyone that talks about helping people with disabilities is a champion to me, so I hope all you listeners tell other people to follow Catherine because she truly is the first person that called to get me on her show on Voice America. Well, so great. Catherine, kudos <laughs> to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess we have to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 